Last week I read from Ephesians 4. And I did a bit of a pricey of the book. <clears throat> so I'm not particularly going to do that, but I want us to know and recognize this morning how blessed we are. If you just look at the first chapter, you're chosen, redeemed, forgiven. You have an inheritance that you will one day obtain. You have a guarantee already placed on that inheritance in the fact that God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. We were dead and separated from God due to our trespasses and sins. And by nature, it says, we were children of wrath. And yet Paul goes on and he talks about how God is rich in mercy because he has great love. And he has loved us with that great love and that he's full of grace. Something that we're frightened of. Something so often that we try to... <clears throat> Minimize because we're frightened that people will take that grace for granted and live the way that they just want to live without trying to walk in that place of obedience. But those first, that first chapter going into chapter two tells us that we've been made alive with Christ. We've been saved. The word there, saved, means we've been rescued. We have been forgiven of our sins. The things that would separate us from God for eternity have been removed. So that whatever happens, whether Christ returns while we are still breathing and living, or that we die and we go at that moment to be with him, we can be assured that we have been rescued. That our lives are safe in his hands. No wonder Paul goes on and he makes this statement that we are a people who are to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. The key for us is this, that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. We're not aliens and strangers anymore. We're fellow citizens, saints, and members of God's household. We're built on the foundation of the apostles who have gone before us and the prophets. And Christ being the cornerstone, we, as we grow together, as we become joined together and grow together, we grow into a holy temple for the Lord. And then it says this, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God's spirit. Do you know that really excites me? The fact that we are being built together to host the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit might dwell amongst us as well as within us. In order that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I once received a prophetic utterance over me which told me that I had been, I had a high calling in God. 
And um, in my younger years, that probably meant that I was looking, thinking I was going to be somebody. If I'm honest, that's probably how I interpreted it. But the reality is, our high calling in God is what I have just said, to make known the manifold wisdom of God, to be built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. It's not about us, it's all about him. It's all about him. But that leaves us with a question. And it's what I'm trying to address over these weeks. And it's about, are we fit for purpose? Are we fit to actually make known the manifold wisdom of God to be a place which is being built together that God might dwell amongst us by his spirit? Are we fit for purpose? Are we fit for purpose? There's a clear goal for us. We're told that unity is really important in seeing those things come about. If you read uh, Ephesians 4 and you just read through it, you can see it said, and I remind us just of what I've already said, we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ministry gifts to the church. And I'm going to say something about giftings in a while. But the truth is, we so often raise up people who have got gift. And we idolise, believe it or not, without even realising it, gift. But the gifts are given not for raising the individuals who hold them up. But rather that those gifts might equip everybody for the work of ministry. Everybody. The word equip means to make fit for purpose, to bring someone or something to completion, to be equipped for ministry. What does it mean to be equipped for ministry? It is work done by a person or persons that benefits others. It's not for self-aggrandizement. It's not for position. It is with a purpose for the benefit of others. The purposes are the building up of making more able. So whatever your gift in God is, whatever you might think your gift of God, in God is, it is given to you to make others more able in their gifting than it is to give you position or adulation. The purpose, equipping people for ministry, the purpose is so that we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's why God gave some to be teachers in the church. To bring us to a place, it says, of mature manhood that we might ultimately find that we grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus, which to me seems to reflect Romans, where Paul writes again, he says that it is God's purpose that we are conformed to the image of his Son. And it amazes me 
that God would ever give to humanity such a high calling and position of responsibility that together we can become an outpost, an enclave of the kingdom here on earth now in anticipation of that final moment when Christ returns and the world, depending on your theology, is totally made new and created new, renewed, reborn, remade to its original perfection. The reason that the pursuit of maturity is necessary in order for us, in order to contend for unity, is it makes Christ head of all things. We grow up into him, the head. We have to have our direction from Jesus, not from what we think or what we would like, but from Jesus himself. That as we grow up together into him, the head, and we take our direction from him, we grow up into Christ. The whole body gets joined together and held together in that right jointing. And as each of us does our own part and works properly, it causes the body to grow and build itself up in love. And therefore, for me, love has to be the key component of the people of God, of the church of God. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, it is love by which, your love for one another, by which all men will know that you are my disciples. John 13, 34 and 35. And through love we become one, unity, that the world may believe that God the Father sent us in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We are called to reflect Christ both individually and corporately. You cannot say that you are reflecting Jesus on your own if you do not love the body or you're at loggerheads with people in the body. You cannot say that you love Jesus on your own. Love is the hallmark that should be engraved into each of our lives and together corporately engraved in the way in which we live as a body. And if we really hear that and listen to that, there is huge challenge to us about how we live, what we do, how we respond to things. The first hallmark of maturity for the Christian is love. As far as I'm concerned, in fact, I think it's not as far as I'm concerned, it's as far as Scripture is concerned. That if I have not love, 1 Corinthians 13 at the beginning, I am nothing more than a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. And therefore, we should all be growing in love. Love. Love for the lost 
Love for one another, love for Christ. Probably the other way around. Love for Christ, love for one another, love for the lost. But we should be growing in love and we should be able to see it in our lives. We should be able to. In Matthew 22, 34 to 40, we read these words, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to give it to us in a way which became measurable for us and sustainable. He is telling us here quite simply that if we keep those two commands to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then we will keep the whole law. Instead of having 603 or however many, or 613, I can't quite remember how many, uh, commands that the Jews got to but the reality is if you keep those two things you fulfill the whole of the law and that's why it is so important for us to grow in those areas love is the key component to walking as a Christian a person on the way in 1 John 3.14 and then again in 4.7-8 we read these words. We know that we have passed out from death into life. How do we know? How do you know that you've passed from death, sin, separation from God into life? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That is powerful. It is powerful. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. This is the second reading. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Those verses of scripture I find deeply challenging. No wonder Jesus said, love everybody, even your, your enemies and those that persecute you. Now that's really tough, isn't it? Let's be honest, Jesus does not make it easy. He, he reduces everything to two things and then makes it amazingly difficult. Because you see, I can love my wife because I love her. I can even fall out with my wife and I still love her. But the reality is, if I fall out with someone else, my love seems to start to be stretched. And if I find someone is my enemy, I want to tell you something. I oscillate between, ooh, I love you, ooh, I love you. Uh, 
And it's hard. God didn't make it easy. But he promised to be with us and to help us in loving others if we would submit to him. The words are challenging. And it says something about us. Now please, I understand that things happen to us in life which affect our lives. We can't go very many places or watch the the news without seeing some horrendous things that cause us pain, cause people pain. And I'm not surprised when people, when you talk about forgiving people and loving people, that they will say things like, you mean to tell me you want me to love the person who wronged me, the person who abused me, the person who stole from me? Surely, God, you cannot expect that of me. And whilst, and whilst I know that sounds an impossibility, I want to tell you, with the Holy Spirit in us, God's Spirit in us, we are able. It might take us a while. What is the direction of my heart? Does my heart want to move from where I am into forgiveness? It really is a challenge. It really is a challenge. Paul seems to suggest to us that everybody has love within them. Philippians 1.9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more. May abound more. Love is not a feeling. One of the big mistakes in the world in which we live, we think that love is a feeling. It's a It's something that I feel all warm and mushy about inside. Now, when you fall in love, I've got to say to you, you may well feel mushy and warm inside and all the rest of it. But I want to tell you, the Bible's view of love is that it is a choice. It is a choice. I choose to love by the way I act. I choose to love by what I say. I choose to love. When someone wrongs me, I choose to love them because I will not condemn them. It's not my role to do that. Love is a choice. We choose to love. If we're growing in God, we should be seeing and noticing an increase in our love for God and for others within the body and without a question I have this morning is this is your love for God increasing if the Holy Spirit dwells in me it should be increasing am I living in a greater freedom than I did before are we keeping short accounts Because relationships are so important to us. Are we being kind? Are we experiencing greater joy? 
Are we patient with others? Do you work at lifting others up rather than putting them down? Are you faithful? Do you treat others with gentleness even when they don't deserve it? Are you living at peace with others? This is the way we walk worthy of the calling which we have received. It honours God and it honours others. And the result is that we come to a place of freedom why is that because you see when I carry bitterness in my heart and anger towards others it only satisfies me for a moment I don't know if you've noticed that somebody wrongs you and you really get steamed I mean I I got some Celtic blood in me and I seriously, I can, I can be quite fiery. But I want to tell you, if I don't bite my tongue and I speak my mind, it only lasts for a moment. I don't feel great for a long period of time. I feel great for a split second because I told them the way it is. But I've got to tell you, within several minutes, I feel like rubbish. I don't know if that's your experience. That's my experience. And I have to come before God and I have to ask God to forgive me. And if I've done that to an individual, then I have to go to them and I have to ask for forgiveness. I should not be venting. Now, anger in itself is not sin. Please hear me. There is such a thing as righteous anger. But it's that anger that you just want to get even. That's not quite the same thing as righteous anger. Righteous anger is when we've been wronged and it violates God's law, right? We can be angry about those things, but do we want to become judge and jury about those things or are we going to hand those things back to God and let him be judge and jury? I'm not God. Neither are you. And so, are we growing? Love is decisive. It's an act of the will. I choose to love God. I choose to love my neighbours by serving them. I choose to love my enemies by praying for them and blessing them. I may not feel like doing it, but as an act of obedience to God, an act of the will, I choose to love them in that way. Is that what we do? Paul repeatedly, uh, prays repeatedly that the church will grow in love. And even when he has already acknowledged that he's heard about their love, he encourages them to love even more. One week, or probably the last two weeks, I've probably mentioned 1 Corinthians 13, but it's a famous thing read at weddings if you really read it in its context you might wonder why is it read at a wedding you know because there are six positives and eight negatives in 1 Corinthians 13 what is love love is patient what does that mean to be even tempered while enduring trying trying circumstances, long-suffering. Is that how we are in our relationships, in our marriage, at work, 
with our employers? Are we long-suffering or do we just have to really get down to it and criticise? Kind, to become warm-hearted and considerate, humane, gentle and sympathetic. Do we try and see things how someone else might see them? Do we rejoice at the truth? Are we dependable, sincere and have integrity? Do we bear with all things? The sense here is that we endure, we persevere with something that might be unpleasant or difficult, whether on one's own behalf or the behalf of someone else. It might mean we have to contain ourselves. Now I'm going to tell you something. I know myself well. I don't always make it on some of those things. But I am improving. That I can tell you. I am growing in them. But I'm not perfect in them. But I can see God's spirit growing in me. I am becoming more attuned to his spirit. I don't cut everybody dead all the time now, just once in a blue moon, which is not acceptable. But I can see that I'm growing. Do you hope all things? Have a desire to look for, expect, to have a confident hope. Do you believe all things? Do you have trust, to have faith, to put your trust in something or someone? But what love isn't is this, envy. To become desirous of another's advantage or advantages, jealous, to act like a rival, to vie with, to strive for. Envy doesn't do us any good. Are you jealous of another person's place within the body of Christ are you jealous of somebody's position at work because when envy is there I want to tell you that's where the other things the positive sides of love begin to go because we resort to other things how many of you have ever heard at work where the person who's just been promoted to their position has been promoted to their level of incompetence And we always say, don't we? I say, well, I'll speak personally. I've been involved in places where people have been promoted to a place and then everybody, one minute, they're all for them when they go for the interview. They get the job, but the moment they're in it, it's, oh, look at that. (laughs) They can't do the job, can they? They're useless. They've been promoted to one level above their competence. They're now incompetent. Boast. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't exhibit self-importance. Look at me. Look how good I am. Look, where would you be without me? Arrogant, to become proud, conceived of as being puffed up, conceited. It's not rude. It doesn't behave dishonourably. 
unseemly, dishonestly and shamefully. And sometimes when we really get into, you could put gossip into this line. That's behaving dishonorably, unseemly, shamefully. Love doesn't insist on its own way to try to reach something, to get your desires over everybody else's, to demand when you don't, to dispute and to argue and to debate and start getting up tight because you don't get your own way. Irritable. To let oneself be carried away in anger, to treat disrespectfully and to incite something which doesn't glorify God. Resentful. Objectionable behaviour. Ennoble, injurious, cowardly and evil. We don't rejoice at wrongdoing. Unrighteousness. Failure to adhere to moral principles, commands and laws. We don't lift up things which violate the law of God. Now I want to ask you a question. In regard to what I said about love from the positive, it's patient, it's kind, it's even-tempered, it's warm-hearted and considerate and humane and gentle, it rejoices with truth, it's dependable, sincere, people have integrity, people endure even when and persevere when things are unpleasant and difficult, that people are always believing the best about other people and trying to place their trust in them. And there is hope. Is it any wonder that Jesus said that perfect love casts out all fear? You see, if we're a body who is growing in love, I want to say to you, If we're growing in love, you will want to be in that community. You will want to be in that community. Why? Because you feel secure. You will know in a community of love, the moment you leave a room, you are not the topic of conversation. You will know. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now I know that we're human. And I know that humanity has that predisposition to drift from the straight. But I want to say something to you today. We need to contend for love in the same way we contend. Well, in fact, if we're contending for unity, we are contending to become a place where love is the hallmark of our relationships. My testimony, and I'm not going to give it, but my testimony is one of love. I hated, I've said before, I hated Christians. I was an angry teenager with a huge chip on my shoulder. 
And I did loathe Christians with a passion. But this man, Neville Bowen, who's now with the Lord, loved me. And he saw something in me. Liz, even in my teenage years, because I was started dating Liz when I was 15. Even in my teenage years where I was angsty and I could be unpleasant, she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And she persevered with me. And I even gave her, at times, plenty of ammunition to say, do you know what? I've had enough. Away you go. I gave Neville plenty of ammunition to say to me, away you go, but they didn't. But they were about the only two people I could never drive away. And because of that, I've got to tell you, I came through for Jesus. Purely and simply on the basis of love. Contending for unity is not necessarily about doing spiritual warfare, binding spirits, telling them to sling their hook and the like. And I'm not belittling that. There are places for that to be done. But if you like, contending for unity starts when we say we're going to love each other no matter what. Neil, can you come back? Um, I just want to give an opportunity. We're going to sing a song. And I just want to give an opportunity. You don't have to stand to do this, okay? You don't have to stand to sing. That's not what I'm looking for you to do right now. What I want to ask you to do is to just take a few moments as... The guys play uh, an appropriate song and just ask the Lord are there things is there anything that has been said this morning are you that you need to put right with him are there people you need to release from your judgment um Do you need prayer? Because you're struggling and wrestling with something that you just can't let go of. And so you carry it around with you. Julia, will you come and share your word that you told me last week, please? comfortable with them on we've become accustomed to the weight <coughs> they don't prevent us from doing anything we've still got our arms free and our legs we can walk but we're still carrying them around with us wherever we go whatever we do we've had them quite a while mm-hmm. however these backpacks are full of stones stones that we've placed in there and now we cannot see or reach to remove them ourselves This requires a work of the Holy Spirit, mm. as each stone has a, has a characteristic. 
jealousy, anger, past hurts that replay, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, unforgiveness, a root of bitterness, disappointments, fears and anxiety, and a stronghold of knowledge and pride. As we allow the Holy Spirit, he will take a stone and skim it across the water. And as the the stone hits the water, the spray leaps up and illuminates the character of the stone before it sinks into the water and is gone to the place it belongs. Ask the Holy Spirit to remove a stone today. Excuse me. Allow him to remove it here from you and reveal what it is. And you know it is gone because the weight will be lighter. Mm. 